Everybody, welcome and thank you so much for joining us for Three Thinking with Montana Day. And I am so excited to have my guest today. I guess is a world-renowned neurologist, world-renowned neuroscientist, world-renowned immunologist. He is the Robert L. Kroc Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School, director and founder of the Partners Multiple Sclerosis Center, and co-director of the Ann Romney Center for Neurology, Neurological Disease at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. His discoveries regarding basic mechanisms of MS have led to the development of new treatment approaches worldwide. He's also a writer, he's a filmmaker, and he's also the author of Curing MS. Dr. Howard Weiner, thank you so much for joining us today here at Free Thinking with Montel, sir. My pleasure. Great to see you, Montel. Absolutely, sir. Really good to see you too. And I should be making a full disclosure to people that, you know, it's really very interesting. I got diagnosed with MS really back in. 2000, but right at the end of 1999, I met saw a doctor in, uh, say, Utah, and really was not that thrilled with the very quick diagnosis that he had. And I wanted to have a good second opinion. And immediately, Dr. Weiner was suggested to me, and I reached out to him, and have been really friends and talking to you ever since my initial diagnosis. So, sir, thank you so much for being a participant in my journey and letting me participate in some of your journeys. My pleasure, and I admire your. Uh, confidence and energy and all you do. No, thank you so much. So let's go back to, you know, when I was diagnosed back in 2000, you know, it was a strange world back then. I mean, I, I will say back in 2000, what we know now about MS, we were barely scratching the surface with back then. And I probably should have been diagnosed in 1980 when I graduated from the Naval Academy. And back in 1980, the level of knowledge back then was that most of the doctors that I saw back then were saying, no, it can't be you because most of the written literature back then said that MS was a disease that was really more uh, apt to afflict women of Northern European descent who were Caucasian. And, you know, uh, I think back then I can only remember maybe two people of color who were diagnosed, Richard Pryor and, um, oh, uh, I guess Lola Falana which was really, really interesting. And both of those, even when referenced with other doctors, I said, no, that's kind of a fluke. I don't think she really has MS, which we know she really did. So we've come a long way, man, in my journey and come a long way in the last 20 years. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, what you say, Montel, is exactly right. When you were, first of all, in the 80s, we didn't have any treatment for MS. And there was a big debate whether MS was caused by a virus or caused by the immune system. And uh, we then discovered in the 90s that MS was caused by the immune system. And many of my patients say, well, what's the immune system doing? And the answer is it's attacking the brain, sort of like thinking that your brain is like a foreign kidney and it wants to attack it. So the very first drugs for MS were to dampen the immune system. They were to dampen the immune system so it wouldn't attack. And this was, um, uh, the first drugs were in the late 90s. Uh, you know some of these drugs. They were given by injection. You've been taking some of them. I'm happy to say we now have 15, one five, FDA-approved drugs for MS. So uh, I just saw a young uh, woman, uh, medical student, diagnosed with MS. She had an attack. I sat there with her mother. I was able to tell her, you know, we have treatment for you. You can go to medical school, 
be a doctor, get married, have kids. And it's wonderful to be able to say that to her. Now, there's a long way to go, but we didn't have that before. And, you know, now let's go back to what you were saying about the fact that there's been this kind of east-west argument over whether or not it's a pathogen or whether or not it's the immune system. I mean, I recently spoke to a doctor who has written a book on the fact that we are just now starting to find out so much more information about pathogens that have been carried by, you know, insects like spiders and by ticks. I mean, we know about, you know, um, um, Lyme disease, and we've now kind of figured out that some of that is, is definitely because of a pathogen. But now, you know, it seems as if that research is trying to rear its ugly head again and making more claims that, not that we're wrong, but there may be a couple of different diseases here that people are looking at, all putting under the same category, but they may not all be the same disease or of the same disease etiology. So, how how much have we how much ground have we covered, and how much have we gotten further down the pike to realize that yes, in fact, what we call MS, multiple sclerosis, and for those who are tuning in, we know that multiple sclerosis means multiple scars. But how much of that do we know is because, strictly because of the immune system attacking itself? Or could the immune system be going after a nanoparticle you know, pathogen that we've just not discovered yet? So it's a very good question. And you hit the nail on the head. And the big uh, new discoveries that we made is a pathogen is like a bacteria or whatever. And it looks like there's no question the immune system plays a role. It's the immune system that's doing the attacking. But the question is, could a pathogen be triggering the immune system? And we now know that the uh, bacteria in our gut, and we have trillions of bacteria in our gut, play a role in MS. And it may very well be that there is a bacteria or something in our gut that the immune system is recognizing. And that thing in our gut is also in our brain. And then that goes to the brain and attacks the brain. So the gut is called the microbiome, microbiome. And it plays a role. It's kind of one of the biggest discoveries in, in medicine. It now is involved with everything. And uh, we're doing studies on the microbiome. And I think understanding how the microbiome or all the bacteria in our gut are linked to MS is going to allow us to understand it more. And with understanding the gut, that's going to one day lead to a vaccine that we give to young people. And so MS is eradicated. Well, you know, it's very interesting that you do say that also, because again, you know, there's been all these probiotics that have been out on the marketplace and people have been selling probiotics. And we now know that, you know, at least some, from some recent research is that you know, this whole idea of taking probiotics, you really can't take enough of the probiotics. I mean, uh, you know, what they're selling in, in stores and drugstores and health clubs really is kind of, uh, honestly, you know, a witch doctor potion in a sense, because, you know, for you to be able to, to drink and consume trillions of probiotics, which is what you'd have to do, um, we don't have the way to develop those. So do you think that we're getting closer and closer to finding, you know, that kind of a treatment protocol that may work? I think, I think we are. I think the reason these probiotics, because they're just haphazard, and it isn't until now that we understand what the bugs are, which are good, which are bad. 
And one day, and we're getting closer, we're doing some work in our center, we'll know that this is the right formula for a probiotic. I'll tell you something interesting. We looked at the guts of some MS patients and there's this one bacteria that was elevated and everybody thought it was bad. Then we put it into animals and found that it was good. So we are trying to study the gut of MS patients and come up with a special probiotic mixture from MS patients, not just you buy off the shelf that can help MS patients. And this is something now that a lot of people don't recognize that, you know, for 60, 70 years, we have treated people with different illnesses this way by sharing the microbiome of other patients with people who are afflicted with different diseases. And, and in some cases, it's elicited the responses that we wanted, right? That's correct. One of the big diseases in medicine now is an infection called uh, C. diff. And giving uh, um, fecal material can help those people. So we've been, we know the gut is very important. We know the gut is very important. And throughout the years, people have tried various things. There's all these different diets, but it isn't until now that we've had the tools to understand what's in the gut and what the bugs are. It's not a black box. So we're understanding the black box, finding out how to manipulate it. And a lot of this research is doing, you're doing at the Ann Romney Center for Neurological Disease, right? Absolutely. We have a giant program at the Ann Romney Center. We're looking at the gut and what goes on as far as that's concerned. And we have new treatments we're developing. We have something that uh, a nasal spray that works in animal models of MS, and we're going to be putting it into our MS patients. And this nasal spray, which is sort of like a vaccine, creates good cells that go to the brain and dampen the inflammation. So we're very excited about that. And at the Ann Romney Center, we always say we want to come up with new treatments. I call it a shot on goal because you can't score unless you take a shot. <laughs> and I, I don't want to just do experiments on mice. So we have different shots on goal coming up in our MS patients. That's incredible. And you also work in other modalities. You work in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's also. Is that right? That's exactly right. One of the big diseases is Alzheimer's disease. As people get older, many, many people have Alzheimer's disease. And we actually have new treatments that we're working on in Alzheimer's disease. And we're going to be doing, we got a shot on goal coming up on Alzheimer's disease. And hopefully it's going to work. Alzheimer's disease is the disease of the century. As we get older, people get it and there's no treatment for it. It's kind of amazing. My mother had Alzheimer's. I just watched her. She knew I was a brain doctor. She says, Howie, don't you have something for me? I didn't have anything for it. Well, you know, let me ask you a question, doctor, especially when you just said it's, it's, it's really something that we've seen. Is, is there truth to the fact that there are, you know, greater numbers of, you know, uh, neurological disorders that are autoimmune disorders seem to be afflicting people more in this century than in centuries before? And could this have something to do with modern man's evolution in, you know, in, in his environment and in, you know, what we've been doing to ourselves? So I think the answer is yes. There's something called the hygiene hypothesis. You know, we evolved. Uh, we evolved. We used to eat dirt. We were on the farms. We did all kinds of things. Now things are very, very clean. And because of that, that we don't get uh, all the bugs and everything which conditions the immune system, we don't have it anymore. And so that we get more of these diseases. I'll tell you an interesting story. Japan didn't have very much MS. They didn't have very, in the last 20 years, all of a sudden they get a lot of MS. 
And it isn't because the genetics have changed. It's because the environment has changed, what they're eating, how they're living. So what you say is exactly right. Eating more of a Western kind of a diet. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and so let's let's talk a little bit about that, because, I mean, I know, um, you know, Anne uh, a big believer in what goes in, you know, is responsible for how we you know, live our lives. And so let's talk a little bit about how you thought, what do you think about the impact of diet and, and exercise and those kinds of things? I know, you know, there was a long period of time where the Chinese people almost denied the existence of MS, right? They used to call it like a poor man's disease. What may change? Are you seeing a higher prevalence of MS in China? Yeah, MS is going up every in China and in Japan as they become more Western, if you will, and that we could diagnose it. I remember I was first in China in 1980 and they had very little MS. I was in Beijing. They showed me a special case. Now they've got a lot of MS and they got a lot of Alzheimer's. Right. And that Alzheimer's thing that, you know, there's some people who think uh, that again, you know, Alzheimer's is just a condition of aging, but it isn't a condition of aging, correct? Correct. It isn't just a condition of Alzheimer's is, in a way, it's kind of easy to understand. Alzheimer's is a disease where a toxic substance, a toxic substance called beta amyloid, it accumulates in the brain, it messes up our neurons, and it affects our thinking. And you can see that. In fact, we're going to be doing studies where you will do imaging of normal people who have normal thinking. And if they have this amyloid in the brain, then they need to be treated. I'll tell you another thing you were talking about. These diseases can be related one to the other. And I'm writing a book about the five diseases at the Anne Romney Center. It'll come out next year. It's called The Brain Under Siege. And there you've got different things, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's disease, MS. They're all intertwined. Let's talk a little bit about Parkinson's. Now, Parkinson's, what is, what is Parkinson's specifically when it comes in this, this world? Parkinson's is a disease that affects a certain part of the brain, a certain part of the brain. Uh, affects a part of the brain called substantia nigra, which means the black substance. And that's a place where they have dopamine. And the dopamine is damaged, and that affects. But Parkinson's is a systemic disease. People have trouble sleeping. People have tr- with constipation. People have uh, crazy behaviors. I'll tell you something. They now found there may be two types of Parkinson's, one that begins in the brain and one that begins in the gut. Something may happen in the gut, goes from a nerve in the gut to the brain and causes the Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's is caused by another protein. Amyloid is a protein. Alzheimer's is a protein called beta amyloid. And Parkinson's is a protein alpha-synuclein. That's the protein in Parkinson's disease that messes up the brain. Well, that's crazy. Again, now we point to another disease where the gut is involved. And I mean, I guess, you know, I've, I've worked with some people who are nutritionists and people who, you know, are whole foodists and people who say that really the gut is where all, almost all of our disease stems from. I, would you kind of agree with that as a blanket statement or not? Well, I, you know, to say that all of our disease, you know, that means that everything, but the gut, I will tell you something amazing. And I didn't, wouldn't have believed it 10 years ago. I can listen to all the diseases that we know but can be related to the gut. MS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, autism, autoimmune disease, uh, brain trauma. Can you imagine that? All these diseases, asthma, all these diseases. 
because the gut, we evolved with the gut. We evolved with the gut. We, we have more bacteria in our body than we have our own cells. And, and we have kind of a homeostasis uh, 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 thing going on where we live with those bacteria and those bacteria help take care of us. But when one or two of them are off, that's what throws our systems into some sort of state of flux. That's correct. It isn't, we evolved in a homeostasis. If you think about evolution, remember we're here because we evolved and, and nature chose a system that works. Anything that didn't work uh, didn't survive. So we're a very finely tuned machine, super finely tuned machine. And part of that, I mean, we have to live, we don't live in, a, I don't know if we would have grown up on the moon where there's no bacteria, I don't know what we would look like, but we grew up in the, in the, in the, uh, on earth, we have all these bacteria. So these bacteria come into our body, they come up with a homeostasis and we live together, each one helping the other. Wow. So now, now there's been some recent discoveries of, of some form of a new immune cell discovered in October 2020, right? I think by Dr. Benjamin Siegel. Um, let's talk a little bit about that for a second. What is that all about? Because that cell seems to be related to regeneration of nerve damage. Is that right? Well, there are cells that, that are involved in regeneration and there's, the immune system is very, very complex. In multiple sclerosis, the myelin sheath is damaged. Uh, that's the insulation. Uh, and then a cell called an oligodendrocyte can help remyelinate that. Then there are cells called uh, monocytes, uh, macrophages. They can be good. They can help remodel. There's another cell in the brain called the microglial cell. And the microglial cell is sort of like a gardener in the brain. It kind of keeps the garden going. So these are the cells that people are talking about. And, and those cells would then help to regenerate the cells that are the nerves that have been damaged? Is that what it does? They help, but it's not easy because there's a lot of damage. And if the nerve cells are broken, it's kind of hard to build something on it. But they're trying to help uh, maintain the brain and rebuild in some way. But, you know, the an, uh, pound of, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of, how does it go uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Right. Yeah. So right. you you really want to protect and not let the damage happen. Absolutely. So now, as we look at, you know, I'm, I, I can't break out a crystal ball. And one of the things I'm so excited about having you on here, because as an immunologist, when we see what's happening right now in the world with COVID, and I've been hearing mixed information about this, so maybe you can clear this up for me. It seems like, you know, there are a lot of these people that, or a lot of people who have MS suffer really extremely difficult or difficulties if they happen to get COVID. Why is that? Is that so I, I wouldn't say a lot. We've done studies in all of our, we've talked to people in Italy and Germany and England and everywhere. And if you have MS and you get COVID, you're a little bit worse, not dramatically worse. We were afraid it was going to be dramatically worse. So uh, there's a little something there, but it isn't, it isn't giant. I'll tell you something interesting. There's part of COVID that's like MS, right? Okay. Why is that? Why is that? COVID has two stages. The first stage, the virus comes in. The second stage, the virus triggers the immune system. The immune system attacks the lungs and everything, just like the immune system attacks the brain and MS. 
So you have an overactive immune system in COVID, like you have an overactive immune system in MS. And I'll tell you something, one of these nasal sprays that we're gonna we're giving our MS patients, we're gonna do a study in Brazil and give it to some COVID patients to see whether it helps COVID. So some of the drugs that might help the overactive immune system in MS theoretically could help the second stage of COVID. Very interesting. You know, and I think when you talk about that, I, I don't know if you remember with my case, and we know now for a fact, I know now for a fact, and having looked back through my medical records from the Naval Academy, you know, MS, I won't say that it was the immunization that gave me MS in any way, shape, or form, but it triggered a immune response. When I graduated from the Naval Academy, I was one of the, in a group of about 100 people who walked through a line back then, that's when the military still gave immunizations with a gun. And, and, and I, and our, the first 100 people in my class, the gun was set, you know, we don't know exactly how high, it could have been three to five times too high when it came to diphtheria and typhoid. And I, along with 11 other people, ended up in the hospital. I had such a severe immune response to that overdose that I think that that's what then started triggering, you know, my body trying to battle back against that. I, you know, I went almost blind in my left eye. I had some really bizarre neurological manifestations that kind of settled down after about six months. But then from that point forward, almost every three to four months later, I was hit with some sort of a neurological anomaly that continued all the way through the 20 years before I got diagnosed. And so, you know, I, I look back to think that maybe that's the reason why I thought, and, and I agree with you, that maybe the pathogen is what starts the immune system in this path of overreacting. That's correct. I, that That's the theory. That's the theory. Absolutely. So now, if you had to break out a crystal ball, do you see anything coming down the pike soon? Uh, could we, could those who are, you know, MS survivors and, and people who are dealing with the illness, can we see something coming down the pike that'll start to ease this? So, you know, you take a look at, at what's happened with, you know, well, I guess one of the most virulent, you know, uh, viruses there is, and that's the AIDS virus, the HIV virus. Now, there are medications that make it almost completely undetectable in the human being. Could we see a day soon where MS might become completely undetectable? So I think the answer is yes. And in fact, we're beginning to see it now. When I say undetectable, is that somebody like this young medical student, this woman that I saw, she was a little wobbly and she had symptoms and everything. I saw her two years later, she looked 100% normal. Now she's on medicine. One of the breakthrough medicines in MS is, uh, attacks a cell called the B cell. That's just the name of the cell. It's an immune cell. And this anti-B cell therapy has dramatically taken away MS symptoms in people who are early in the disease. And I now see people who are early in the disease who are on these medicines. They come to see me after five minutes. We don't have anything to talk about. I talk about my kids. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there is hope out there. I want to make no sure. No question. I want to tell you something else. Of all the disease that we studied at the Ann Romney Center, MS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, we've made the most progress in MS. And in this book I'm writing, Brain Under Siege, I interview some of these doctors who are working on these other things. And one of the guys I trained who works on ALS, he says, Howard, I got MS envy because you got drugs and we don't. So we've made a lot of we made a lot of progress. And I think the next step is going to be to treat it early and to stop it from ever going any further. 
Great. Look, I'll tell you what, I got to take a little break to pay some bills. Let me do that. I'll take a break real quick and come back. And then I've got a couple more questions for you because I want to talk a little bit about this thing that you call the CLIMB study and let people understand what that really is and what you've gleaned out of that over the course of well, I guess it's been going on now for what, five years, six years? Oh, the CLIMB study is 20 years. So look, we've been talking to world-renowned neurologists, neuroscientists, and immunologists, Dr. Howard Weiner. I'm going to take a little break, and you're going to be listening to more free things on Watson when we come back. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Welcome to Free Thinking with Montel. Welcome back. I'm so glad you've tuned in with us today. And my guest today is world-renowned neurologist, neuroscientist, and immunologist. He's a Robert L. Kroc Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School, Director and Founder of the Partners Multiple Sclerosis Center, and the Co-Director of the Ann Romney Center for Neurological Diseases at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. He's discovered many mechanisms and ways of treating MS. It's led to the development of several new treatment approaches worldwide. He's also a writer, a filmmaker, an author of Curing MS. Dr. Howard Weiner, thank you so much again, sir, for joining us today. Great to be with you, Mantel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, sir. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, this study that you've been doing now for almost 20 years. It's it's one of the longest longitudinal studies, I think, in, in comprehensive medicine, and it's been for MS. Tell me a little bit. It's called the CLIMB study. Exactly. CLIMB stands for Comprehensive Longitudinal Investigation of Multiple Sclerosis at the Brigham. So that's the long thing in. And so we call it CLIMB, but we like CLIMB because you're climbing mountains, you're climbing to go places. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you think about it, if I diagnose somebody with MS, and you know it yourself, the question isn't how are they a year later? The question is how are they five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later? And who does well and who doesn't do well? Are there different subcategories? And the only way to understand that is to take a group of patients, and we've taken 20,000 of them, I'm sorry, 2,000 of them, and every year we follow them. We do MRI scans, we do exams, we take blood samples, we now take stool samples. So that's our laboratory. It's a living laboratory of MS to find out how people do with MS, who does well, who doesn't do well, and we want to do personalized medicine. We're even doing a artificial um, uh, intelligence type thing where we um, uh, try to predict how, what's going to happen to an individual patient. Looking at different outcomes. And different outcomes, yeah. Now, what, have you, what else have you gleaned out of this, this study now for 20 years? Is this where some of your, your breakthrough research is coming from? Yes, it is. We found that there's... When one of the big things in MS is when you go from the relapsing to the progressive stage. Relapsing, you recover, but after that builds up, you become progressive, and that's what gives you the most disability in MS. And so we discovered that certain parts of the brain, gray matter, spinal cord, and certain blood tests can tell who's going to become progressive. So that, that's kind of a big finding. Absolutely. Now, now, we finally, is there now a blood test to identify MS? So there's no MS blood test. The, the real test to identify MS, quite frankly, is the MRI scan. We used to do a spinal tap to identify it. The main thing is the uh, MRI scan. The blood test is to try and say what subtype you have or whether your disease is active. It won't tell you whether you have MS, but if you have MS, it might tell you about what your MS is like. Wow. So, I mean, um, now, you know, what's so also I find just troubling for me is the fact that, you know, 
different places around the country seem to have different amounts of information about this. How hard is it to, to get this information spread out across the entire MS community of doctors? Well, I don't know. To be honest, with the, um, with the internet and all the uh, social media we have, it isn't that hard to find out about MS. We have good societies that work on it. We have a beautiful website at the Brigham where you can learn about MS. So it's there uh, and people should be able, but I don't know, I just got a call from a doctor in Brazil whose wife had MS and he says, I need to talk to you because they don't have the information there. Or I got a call from some woman in Texas. She wants to know what to do. So, um, but we have a lot of MS experts. I don't want to uh, say that we don't, but um, uh, we're available to help. You're available to help and you should be able to get the information. Good. Okay. Now let's sort of switch pages here for a second. You're not only a scientist, a neuroscientist, and an immunologist, but you also dabble a little bit in my world, in that entertainment world, in films, right? As a That's fact, you, right. You did a film, a documentary is called "What Is Life." Tell us a little bit about that project and why it was so important to you. Well, I was a philosophy major in college, and you know, I don't have to tell you. Everybody has these big questions in life, you know. And I decided, well, let me make a film where I interview people and ask the big questions. What happens when you die? Is there a God? Why is there evil? What's the most important thing to you? And so I, I went around and interviewed people, all kinds of people, famous people, normal people, priests, rabbis, uh, my MS patients. I interviewed my MS patients. And the purpose of the movie was to let everybody think about life. I think we all have to come up with a a feeling, what is life and what are we trying to do? I wasn't trying to argue one thing over another. But I was trying to help people think about the big questions in life. And when they thought about them, they felt better. And they were able to understand how they felt about it. I had many tender moments. I asked um, an MS patient of mine and her husband, I said, what do you fear most? And the husband says, I fear that I'm going to die before she does, you know, because he was her caretaker. That just shows the the empathy and the feeling that people have. So I really love making that movie and uh, love asking those scientific questions. But did it get a did wide distribution? It did very well. It won uh, uh, five Los Angeles Film Awards. I put It's on YouTube. I had thousands of people to watch it. Anybody can watch it. Put in my name, Howard Weiner. Put in What is Life and you can watch it. Oh, that's great. And now you also did another film that was called Abe and Phil's The Last Poker Game. What was that about? Yeah, that's a that's based on, I wrote and directed that. And that's with Martin Landau and Paul Sorvino. And it's a story, the tagline for that is it's never too late for life. Never too late for life. And you have an old doctor who goes to a, a retirement home with his wife who has Alzheimer's because he can't take care of her. And he meets there this Italian guy, that's Paul Sorvino, who in his life was a womanizer and a gambler. So they become friends. They're kind of improbable friends. And then part of the story is a young nurse who's looking for her biologic parents. And she gets a note that her father's in the home. So she goes to the home and both these old guys meet her and they want to be her father. So they're looking, they're looking for that. And I think that the uh, one of the more tender moments is at the end, these two old guys, and they realize that they can't do what they wanted to do before. And Paul Sorvino says, you know, uh, the 
Lando character is called Abe Mandel. He says, you know, Abe, we're, we're old guys. You know, we can't do what we did before. But in some ways, we're just as good or better than the others because we're friends. And they felt that. And I think connecting with people is very important. So I wanted to um, explore that. Lando and Sorvino loved the script. They loved working together. And I loved working with them. Got any, you have any other movies in, in the works? I got... <laughs> Yeah, I've got, uh, so I have two more movies in the works. One is the documentary series, I told you, based on my book, The Brain Under Siege, which will tell about these things. And then the other movie, I actually got two more movies. It takes time to do these. One's a medical thriller. I won't get into that, where there's a murder in the hospital, just having some fun. But the other one is more philosophical. I call it Subways, where a doctor is struggling with life's question and he, he goes down into the subways of New York, which is his subconscious. And he deals with his life and what does life mean and those type of things. So those are, um, those are my next projects. Well, you know, as a, as a, as a scientist and, you know, and a person who does as much research as you have to do, what do you think? And this may be a philosophical question, but, you know, take a look at America. And if you had to do some research about, What's driving the disease of this country right now? And that disease being, you know, the rapidly growing disenfranchisement from the original ideals that made us who we are. What do you think we have to do to cure this disease right now? I mean, because, you know, we're a nation that is, as a, right now, is probably the best day to see it as clearly as you can the day before we elect a new leader. You know, we were about as divided as we have ever been as a nation. I think people don't recognize the fact that this isn't like as divided as we've been in the last 20 years. This is as divided as we've been in the last 100, maybe 150 years. And that chasm seems to be growing deeper and deeper and deeper. What do we have to do? What do you think we have to do to see if we can start to cure that disease here in this country? So I agree with you. I agree with you, Montel. And, and how do we cure it? And I think we cure it. First of all, I think the young people are very important because we got to teach the new generation. And they're beginning to feel that all well, all that, uh, uh, you know, the love your neighbor type thing. You can't disenfranchise the Black Lives Matter, all of these issues. So I think in order to cure it, we have to uh, connect to the young people and have the young people realize what's what's happening whether you can change somebody who's already like that i don't know but you 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 got to keep trying and i think we have to turn social media around i think we need a leader who's able to talk to both sides we got to get both sides together we got to get them talking to each other and that's what i think is the most important they got to be talking to each other they're not talking to each other they're talking past each other talking past each other absolutely and um, what do you think about the future of the American medical system? Well, again, I know it's probably the same answer. But we've got to get the young people. You know, we've got, you know, a whole generation that's, uh, you know, more interested in how quickly they become a video star rather than going to school and actually learning something of value and, and even learning something when it comes to taking care of their fellow man. What do you think, uh, what, what does the slippery slope look like 
in medicine to you over the next five to 10 years? Well, I'm not, I'm not worried about medicine. It's true. First of all, there's more women coming into medicine, which is very good. A lot of our doctors now, you know, are coming from other countries or they're uh, uh, people who, who want to learn medicine. So it's teaching, it's teaching. And it's uh, the medical schools. Uh, it's using the latest uh, advances that we have. And we got to put money in. I mean, you got to put money into the NIH because that's the engine that uh, drives things. But then there's got to be communication between the doctors and the patients. I'm not worried about medicine, quite frankly. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I'm not worried. Everybody basically has a compassion. There's nobody, no matter who you are, that doesn't have somebody who's sick in their family. And you can respond to that. And uh, there's many, many people who respond to that and want to help and want to be doctors. So I think it's supporting research building up our medical schools, using new techniques, social media, social media, um, the um, virtual visits, you know, that you can reach out to people, et cetera. So I'm not worried about medicine, but we've got to, we've got to invest in it. We, we can't let it be. Well, you know, I don't know. I didn't, didn't get a chance to talk to you when I joined you and, uh, and I thought it was inappropriate to bring up while we were, uh, doing the last update on what Ann Romney said has been working on. But, you know, over the course of the last 10 years, I've been working on a project that is uh, a uh, portable neuromodulation system that's called a PONS device through a company called Helios Medical Technologies. And, you know, our device recently got a breakthrough medical device classification from the FDA. It has now gotten full FDA approval in Canada for the treatment of balancing gait in remitting and relapsing MS. Do you know anything about the device or would you like me to send you information about it? I know we've spoken about it. I'd love to hear it. Love to hear it because anything we can help uh, is good. And I know I understand some of the theory about it, but love to look at it. Sure. We've been, it's, it's, it's it got its breakthrough medical device uh, um, certification from the FDA and is later right now we filed for FDA approval here in the United States already treating patients in Canada and has gotten, you know, has been considered pretty efficacious. So I'd love for you to take a look at it and I'll make sure I get you some of that information. I can't wait. Sir, anything else you want to uh, shout out to uh, those people who are, who are afflicted right now with, you know, anything from MS to Alzheimer's or to Parkinson's? So what I want to shout out is that uh, don't give up hope because uh, uh, we're working uh, for you. There's hope on the way. Uh, keep your family close to you. Uh, try to help other people. And uh, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, this book that I wrote is going to talk about how we get to different cures. Um, and I think you just keep going and keep up your spirit. Well, you're the author of the book, Curing MS. She's also got a brand new book that's going to come out this year. And you're please welcome. You're welcome to come back anytime you want so we can help promote that book for you when it comes out. So you let me know when that's about to happen. We've been talking to the one and only Dr. Howard Weyer, who is a world-renowned neurologist and immunologist and neuroscientist. And I'm going to tell you, one of the good guys, one of the guys that literally walks the walk, talks the talk, and does it all the right way. Thank you so much, Howard, for being a part of Today's free thinking with Montel. We'd love to have you back whenever you want. Thank you so much for inviting me and my hats off to you, Montel, for all you've done. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. Be well. 
do the same thing for yourself. Make sure you hug that family. That's it. That's it. Give That's them much love and you know, spread the love out. Next time you see Ann, tell us that hi. I will do so. Make sure you tune in to the next Free Thinking with Montel. Thank you.